Night-long counter-strike marathons four days a week, making children cry at Warner Brothers Movie World. The sheer amount of work involved in making multiple television shows each week, seeking out challenges that make you feel uncomfortable, and how community is at the heart of any passion. All this and much more on... The Paid to Play Podcast. Bajo, actor, author, and host of TV show Good Game. By PC Pod or Pad, you're listening to Paid to Play, the antidote to the don't give up your day job blues. I'm Rob Farker, and I'm here to help you monetize your madness by sharing the stories of folks making money from the things they love doing, no matter how silly, geeky, or odd. My guest for this episode is a familiar, beloved face to gamers across Australia. Barjo is one of the four hosts of the television show Good Game, which is broadcast across the great southern land by the national broadcaster, the ABC. He's been with the show for over nine years now, and by all appearances is having an absolute blast doing it. Bajo's prestige amongst the Australian geek community has made him a go-to guest and MC for pop culture conventions. But Bajo is not only a mad keen gamer and host of TV and geek events. In his secret identity of Stephen O'Donnell, he has acted in close to 40 short films and six independent features, including Scratched, the first feature-length film directed by my guest for episode 84, Travis Bain. He even scored a gig as Alfred at the Batman ride in Warner Brothers Movie World on the Gold Coast. On top of that, Bajo is part of a trinity of mates that have been developing a new children's TV show for the ABC, which has just been greenlit after four years of development. If that's not enough, Bajo and fellow good game host Hex have written a children's book series called Pixel Raiders for Scholastic. Book one, Dig World, is already out, with Book 2 releasing in September 2016, and more to follow. And finally, speaking of September, Bajo will be participating in the 2016 Distinguished Gentleman's Ride on Sunday the 25th of September, in which he will don his finest attire and join men and women across the globe in raising funds and awareness for the effort to find a cure for prostate cancer and to help men's mental health. Donations to his ride will help the event reach its goal of US $5 million to fund research into a cure for a disease that claims far too many gentlemen each year. You can find his sponsorship page at gentlemansride.com slash rider slash barjo. That's B-A-J-O. It's a pleasure to chat with a gent who's gone all in on what he loves doing on this show, and we wish him all the best on the gentleman's ride. Barjo, welcome to the Pay to Play podcast. Thanks for having me. What an intro. Beloved, so many lovely adjectives. Oh, I'm, all, I'm all a gush. <laughs> <laughs> for crying out loud, uh, you're in the amazing position of being able to host a television show about gaming that gets broadcast across a, an island continent, for crying out loud. Yeah, I feel like I've won some sort of cosmic challenge, you know? <laughs> like, uh, it, was, it was a long road to get there, but like once I, once I kind of... Got there. Uh, I feel like every day is just um, just a little bit a little bit magical, and it's only a matter of time before it all comes crashing down to balance out the karma. <laughs> <laughs> we shall all enjoy it while it lasts, anyway. So, imagine after this chat wraps up, I give you a magic ticket. Now, this ticket is good to allow you to do one thing that you've either been keen to try out or keen to get back into, as well as a magical rearrangement of your schedule to allow you the necessary time to do that thing. What would be on your shortlist to use that ticket on, Barjo? Oh, wow, what a question. Um, what would be on the shortlist? Well, uh, I've never really travelled much. You know, I, I've never really had the money or the time, and not really the inkling. My family didn't travel very much, so I think I would love to maybe travel around the world on a motorcycle. I think that would be actually pretty amazing. And maybe make a show about it at the same time. <laughs> be on the shortlist, that's for sure. Uh, so we're uh, following in the footsteps of um, uh, Ewan McGregor and Charlie Borman from the sounds of it. 
Yeah, absolutely. That'd be amazing. And of course, uh, speaking of Ewan McGregor, also, you know, being in the new Star Wars, that's the first ticket, actually. I should have said that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, absolutely. So um, I take it that uh, Central Casting wasn't in touch about Episode Eight. No, strangely. I never got the call. <laughs> But um, uh, oh, how good is the new trailer? Have you seen the Rogue One trailer, the new one? Oh, my God. Oh, yes. oh wow. It's, it, it's pressing all of the geek buttons. I've Let's just talk about that for an hour. I was, like, <laughs> crying when I was watching it. <laughs> I've got to admit, I love the celebration trailer they put out where they gave those little slices of behind-the-scenes and making-ofs. And the one bit that always sticks with me is that guy in the Rebel pilot's uniform yes. climbing into the X-Wing cockpit with a big grin on his face. I'm like, yeah, mate, I, I yeah. can understand how that would feel. <laughs> <laughs> it's just, it's a magical time to have something so loved, like, come back in such a, a smart way, you know? Uh, it's a good time, it's a good time to be a geek, or just to like Star Wars, or just to like good things. It, it certainly is, yes. Tell me a little bit about the li- the early life of Barjo. When did you sort of uh, trip over gaming and realise that uh, uh, it was your thing? Well, I, I grew up um, – I was born in New Zealand, and um, I moved to, to Brisbane when I was about five or six. And I remember around that time having a lot of handheld controllers. My very first game, I think, was a, was Ms. Pac-Man, a little, a little handheld one that looked a bit like Pac-Man. It was yellow. For those who owned it will know what I'm talking about. Um, and I just – I loved the colors and the movement of it, and I think my parents gave it to me as something of a distraction. And then I moved to um, – to Toowoomba, which is a couple of hours, you know, a couple of hours west of Brisbane, and I was a bit isolated out there. We had this little hobby farm with like cows and goats and peacocks and chickens, and um, yeah, I was just I was a bit on my own, me and the animals. But um, my dad always made sure I had a console, so I started with like the Atari Twenty Six Hundred and then the Master System and the Mega Drive, and just kind of went on from there. And that isolation made me spend a lot of time with games, and um, I I just fell in love with the challenge of it. You know, the the visuals, the the feeling, the the noises, all of it just really made me excited and then excited again when I invited my friends over to play, which is a great excuse to have sleepovers, especially because um, I could kick their butts because no one played games as much as me <laughs> at that age, and I got, a, I got a thrill out of that too. I remember playing Mortal Kombat Trilogy uh, with all my friends, and I pretended to lose until like I had like 5% health left, and then I would just destroy them, and those, those feelings of destroying my friends is where, where video games began for me <laughs> so uh were there a lot of um a lot of you mates who basically said bugger i'm never going over barjo's place again yeah pretty much but then they would always be lured back because i was a mad a mad collector of games and you know i didn't have like a huge collection but like i always had the latest ones and the latest console it was like the one thing my dad gave me to keep me out of his hair i think and <laughs> i i remember just scouring you know the trading post and and always trying to sell the ones i'd finished with and then get the new ones and then try and beat that as fast as possible and that was that was a big thing and also traveling from Toowoomba to brisbane to visit my mum because my parents divorced when i was sixish and i I had a Game Gear, you know, and I had a, a few other handheld uh, little consoles as well, but it was mostly the Game Gear, and uh, I, I, I just loved having all those games to play on the road, and, and that, was a, that was a big thing for me, mobile gaming, purely because of uh, the distances I had to travel to visit my mum every second weekend, and we went through a lot of batteries. Those Game Gears sucked down the juice, but you could put a thing in the Game Gear and make it a television. It was just an amazing thing. <laughs> but yeah, even more battery usage in that case from the over to shoot. Definitely. Yeah. <laughs> in uh, the notes that you sent through, you also sort of mentioned that um, you developed a love of film, which is would seem to tie in with that idea of being um, a little bit isolated. Do you remember what some of your uh, your earliest film loves were? Well, you know, I'm a big cartoon guy, and I still am, and um, I remember watching over and over and over all those old Batman animated features and animated uh, the animated series from the 90s, you know, and then, like, I got huge into Justice League, the 2000 kind of animated series, and I just fell in love with DC. You know, DC have have incredible villains and Batman and then some pretty good heroes, right? Yes. <laughs> I think Marvel, like, Marvel have, like, great heroes, uh, but I don't even, I can't even remember Marvel villains. <laughs> I just, like, I 
anything. I'm, I'm sure there would be people who'd be angry at that, but like that's just my opinion on that. Marvel have awesome heroes, um, and and DC have awesome villains. But uh, back on point, I guess I I loved um I I really enjoyed uh, cartoons and I collected a lot of figurines and that sort of thing. But it wasn't kind of wasn't really until like like high school that when I started making short films that I really uh, fell in love with the the process, you know. Like I'm not a guy who will go see a film and be like, mm, yes, let's critique this film, and I like what they did there. I'm not really that kind of guy, but um, I I love the process. I love the process of of writing something and putting it together and seeing what works and what doesn't and learning lessons. And it's like I, I think it's so important for anyone who is is in into like any aspect of making films, whether it be drama or editing or filming or, uh, or directing or writing, is to like go through that whole process of making a few of your own so you can see and understand everything from all perspectives. And, and the editing was especially fun for me. And I think that that kind of um, led into computers a little bit for me too. There's a bit of crossover because when I was in grade 10, 11, we started getting our first kind of digital editing systems. And I, I found a lot of joy at kind of playing with those. But before then, we're all doing it on VHS or beta or whatever we were using in our school. Mm. I imagine that you must have been absolutely stoked with the advent of the DVD and particularly uh, the commentary tracks and the extra discs with all the making of goodies on them. Yeah, absolutely. I, I especially love it when they do um, those kind of commentaries in games, actually. And it's so rare, but when you get like a video game where you hear the, the, the commentary from the people who are making it, you just get such an insight into like how hard it is to make video games. Yeah, I um I think Valve are pretty good with that. I especially remember sort of like walking yeah. through things like um uh the Team Fortress maps in a, in uh, uh I can't remember the name of the mode, but you'd see all these little speech bubbles everywhere when you click on them and you get a little bit of uh a little bit of recording of one of the people who worked on the game telling you about, you know, the idea of the level design and the characters character design and all those kinds of things. Yeah, it's fascinating stuff. I played um, the sequel to 30 Fights of Loving. Uh, the name just suddenly escapes me. I played that very recently. Um, it was kind of like this hacking game. Oh yeah, it had a stupid name. That's why I remember it. Quadrilateral Cowboy. Stupid name. Great game. Um, but it had, um, it had its own commentary too. And it's just like little simple things about like lighting and color and, and how important it is to like make things stand out with certain colors and other things not stand out and the constraints that puts on a designer and how sometimes constraints are really good when you're trying to create something because it gives you less choice and all this stuff that you never think about and i think i think making like all these short films in school and and it really gave me like a a a love of putting something together and then sitting back and watching it and and that's what i love about uh film and tv and what i loved about programming too a little bit of programming in school like just putting something together finding out what didn't work fixing it and then you know watching it there's something i get such satisfaction out of that just like building computers i love building computers and when it doesn't work first i'm like yes let's figure out what happened <laughs> <laughs> i've always been the opposite way around i find when it doesn't work the first time i get you know I've, it's like god how many bloody things could have gone wrong here is there one part <laughs> working and it just feels like oh why did i bother You've got to you've got to revel in the challenge, mate. Revel in the problem solving. <laughs> you do, yeah. Well, it seems like there was kind of an interesting point of division for you as uh, your schooling progressed. You wound up studying IT, and you mentioned, of course, your interest in computers and how you do love putting machines together. But you wound up dropping out of IT to pursue acting. I mean, what what happened there? What sort of led you to that point, and then? tilted the decision in favor of acting well i think you know in, in school i i picked a lot of really time-consuming tough subjects like physics and and the mass c which is like the harder mass you know for those who aren't in queensland and um and and film and tv which was very time consuming uh and i the the subjects i loved were computers and film and tv i just i love them so much i spent so much time in the computer labs and we had such a great computer lab in our school craigsley high school in brisbane um just amazing computer labs like top of the line you know like the internet kind of happened mainstream when i was in grade 10 ish and all these computers were like networked and online and i would i remember i hid quake on like every single computer in our school you know you could go to any computer and type like three letters into DOS and um, it would just start playing Quake and connect you to, a, to the server, you know, <laughs> and I, I did get into a bit of trouble for that, but um, I just, it, there was something about those, uh, those early days of like 
connecting online gaming um, and, you know, modem to modem play with Duke 3D and all that sort of stuff. I just absolutely love that. Um, and so anyway, leaving, leaving school, because we had such a great IT unit and I couldn't get any credit for it because of like the way the system worked back then, I, I did a whole year of uni and learned actually nothing, you know, like, and part of that was because of my own, like, private love of programming and computers and that sort of thing. But 99% of it was because the school was so good at it. And I just, I hated it. I hated not learning anything. I feel like I wasted a year um, racking up this hex debt and then eventually GST on top of that, which happened like when the GST came. It's like, what? I've got to pay another 10% on top of my hex debt? What the hell? Anyway, that too. Like just, it just felt like a real, um, a real waste of time. And, you know, I, I wouldn't recommend dropping out of uni after one year, but my kind of my advice from that time was I, I just wish I'd taken maybe even six months off, you know, um, just to like get my head around what I really wanted to be doing. And I started doing all these um, acting courses in that year as well because I was trying to, you know, I just thought I'd give it a go and see if I could get any commercials and that sort of thing. And I had a little bit of luck here and there. Um, and I, I did love drama in school as well. And, and, and film and TV, of course, as I mentioned earlier. So it all just kind of like came to this point where I'm not enjoying uni. I hate this. Maybe I'll go back. I deferred for a year and then I never went back. And and I, I started getting little bits of, you know, little short films. And I was rubbish, you know. Like I, I didn't do many courses. Looking back, if I could do anything again, it would be spend three years learning drama, you know. But then maybe I wouldn't have ended up where I am today. But uh, it, it, it was a real it was a real challenge to like learn how to get better at that. And I think I got most of my gigs due to availability <laughs> more than actually being any good. But uh, I, I like learning on the job and learning in a creative environment like that where everyone's just trying to put together a, you know, an independent film or a short film. And, and it's, it's a really fun little family that you build over time. And I really enjoyed that as well. And of course, in the meantime, you were still uh, a mad king gamer. Um, I believe Counter Strike kind of came into your life at around about that period. Yeah, I was. Um, some of my best memories of my life in general uh, playing Counter Strike with my mates when I was, you know, a, a late teenager. Um, going to there was a net cafe in Brisbane called the oh, I forget what it was called the Den or something. It was it was it was like a, one of the first net cafes ever in Sydney, and it had Counter Strike and every computer and we would just go there three or four nights a week and we'd we'd play from like you know 8 p.m to 5 (laughs) a.m and it was just so much fun and i loved the um the kind of community of it you know um i love the the challenge of it of of just trying to you know we had these leaderboards within the actual oh the bunker that was called we had these leaderboards in the bunker and you know you would see who was best at what and um that that esportsy kind of challenge of it and setting up plans and going to war against each other, like all that kind of stuff was just so much fun. And I was flatting at the time too. And once again, you know, the net was just happening and we had cable, which was unbelievable for the time, mm. cable internet. And I remember drilling holes in the floor of the place I was renting and running cables. And we had like a little intercom set up on our next to our computers so we could be like, he's behind you, you know, because <laughs> there wasn't voice chat back then, I think, or we didn't know about it. And um, we had this whole system going and it was just a constant like year-long LAN party living with my friends and, and going out and having fun and coming home and having fun. One thing I do have to ask you about, you mentioned that you were in Sydney for a lot of this, but I think a little bit before that, there was that gig uh, while you were uh, doing all your small films and all that kind of thing, I believe, uh, where you got to be Alfred at the Batcave in Movie World. Yes, now it sounds more impressive than it actually is. So in at Movie World at the time, there were two kind of like tiers of of employees, you know. So you've got your employees who like help out in the rides and then you've got like the people who dress up in the suits. And there was this weird like division, like the people in the suits who would wouldn't talk to the rest of us. Um and the people in the suits were like top tier actors and we were just like you know casual employees it was so strange maybe i imagined it but that's what it felt like and and uh but the only role that was kind of a little bit actory um in like the casual group that i was in was the butler in the Batcave. 
and I'd been a massive Batman fan, of course, and I loved that ride, and I took it really seriously. Like, I made kids cry almost every single ride, because you do this whole speech, you know, as Alfred, and then you'd, like, pull a thing, and the doors would open, and you'd run to the Batcave, and, and uh, yeah, I took it very seriously, and there were, there were many tears. That's when you know it's a success, when you can make a kid cry on a, on a ride from the drama. <laughs> <laughs> Well, it sounds like if you didn't know that acting was your thing before, it certainly, uh, Alfred certainly solidified it for you then. Yes. <laughs> oh, boy. This is Ash Chain of Lady Chain Cosplay, and you can hear my chat with Rob in episode 42 of Paid to Play Podcast. And my guest for this episode is Barjo, host of ABC TV's Good Game. Now, we've been talking a little bit about Barjo's early years, both uh, as a gamer and as an actor, and it seems as though things kind of took a turn a little bit for you when you wound up getting a gig on a late-night text into win show. Tell us a little bit about that. Oh, yes, it was a, it was a bright and dark time of my life. <laughs> um, well, you know, I packed everything I owned and, and moved to Sydney, and I thought, if I'm going to try and be an actor or try and get into film and TV, I'm, you've got to give it a proper go, right? You know, and Sydney was where all the work was, and I thought, let's give it a go. I had a few friends down here, and I came down here, and I did, like, a bunch of independent films and a few more shorts and that sort of thing, got an agent and got a few gigs here and there. And, but uh, I was getting to this point where I, I, you know, I was just getting more and more into debt, you know, like. I wish I'd finished that computer degree, IT degree, because then maybe I could have been able to support myself while I did all this. But instead, I just got into massive debt, and it was really, really depressing and painful and hard, and and uh, I've never been great with money, but it certainly didn't help. And so um, I was kind of spiraling a little bit, you know. It's like, I'm going to have to give it up. I'm going to have to just, like, go back to uni or find another job or just do something because either I'm not good enough or – which is, was potential. I didn't have as, enough, as much training, you know. I had more on-the-job kind of training with, with acting and that sort of stuff. So either it was I wasn't good enough or there weren't enough opportunities or I didn't have time to, like, find the thing I wanted to do. And I got this audition for a late-night quiz show, and it was live TV, and I got it. And it was just like, this is an awful show. Like, you text in, you know, it was a, there were like three of them on at once. There was Hot Dogs, there was Midnight Zoo, and there was um, the other one which was done in Melbourne, which I've forgotten. Quizmania, that was it. And they all happened at once because they were exploding in the UK because they were soaking in heaps of money over there. And I don't think they hit that kind of money here. I wasn't really privy to like that sort of information. But the idea of it was like there's a thing on the screen and you text in and it costs you like 50 cents to enter and then randomly someone gets picked. Um, and they were horrible, you know, like it was, it was a horrible kind of show and you know, I tried my best to make it entertaining. I talked about games a lot, video games a lot on it. It was live TV, though, you know, and you couldn't turn a job like that down. It was too exciting to be actually live on a national broadcaster, um, despite what the show was. And we only, you know, ran for about three months. Uh, all those shows kind of faded away um, because they were never going to last. But it was. It was a real experience. It was a real learning process. You know, just no script, standing there and talking for 45 minutes. The challenge of that is is a lot harder than it looks, um, especially when, you know, you're trying to, like, talk about the quiz, and it's such a simple quiz, like, who is this bald person? And it's so obvious that it's Patrick Stewart, and <laughs> you're just, like, waiting until the the producers, like, pick someone to win, you know, at random from the from the way it all worked. So yeah, it was not it was not the best show to start on, but I learned so much and it led me to to much much better things, I think. Did Good Game pretty much come directly on the heels of that or were there other things in between? It was almost straight after. Yeah, so I had about 6 months of um doing auditions, like going, meeting with new agents and meeting with the networks, you know, because that was like an into the networks a bit. Uh, and so I, I went and met with like Channel 9, Channel 7, Channel 10, um, and I didn't do very well. Like I was, I'd put on a bit of weight because the show would be like late at night and I don't know, I just, I, I kind of stuffed up most of my meetings because I was just so nervous and I think a little panicked. And that's, that's one of the biggest things about auditions that you can smell, like if someone's panicked or like desperate, and I definitely smelt like that. <laughs> and it's not a good thing you know just kind of got to be yourself and be honest and open you know i remember one audition i went for where they said you can skateboard right and i was like yeah absolutely and like i skateboarded once in my life and i got to the audition that said all right show us a few moves and i like got on the skateboard started rolling and then i just walked out the door and said see you guys it's not gonna work <laughs> <laughs> but 
about six months after, you know, Good Game put out a, an open call um, on their forums, and about 20 of my friends emailed me at once and said, you should go for this. And I was like, yes, yes, I should, because it was it felt like everything I'd I'd work towards, uh, you know, my love of computers and games and, like, what an incredible opportunity, what an incredible job. And it was just at the start of, like, the last generation, you know, the 360 Wii PS3 generation. It was just on the heels of PS2, you know, PS2 games like God of War were coming out, like, incredible, perfect games like that. And so it was a real interesting time for games and a perfect time for a show about games and a perfect place for it on the ABC where there's no, like, commercial things associated with it, which the commercial networks have to deal with, which is always really hard when it comes to tech and games being niche and being a very commercial kind of industry as well. So it's always really hard. So the timing was incredible, and the audition was the easiest one I've ever had to do because it was something that I loved and something that I knew about, and, and the people were really lovely. And then we, you know, we did Series 1 uh, – sorry, Series 2. I came in in Series 2, and we did that, and it was we did it for three months, and I think I was part-time mostly, and I was still working in a cinema at the time. And, and, then, um, and then Series 2 happened, and then kind of from Series 3 onwards, it was a full-time job, and that um, – and I, could, I just knew it would grow and grow and grow. And if we really worked hard, we could make it um, something that would last and be special. It certainly does seem like uh, an incredible thing. And I mean, uh, if there's one common thread I've been noticing sort of weaving through the things that you've mentioned uh, so far, whether it's been acting, playing in Counter-Strike and particularly good game is this sense of community uh you know really forming solid bonds with the people whom you're sharing your passions with yeah absolutely it's community is is so important with with especially with niche things like games and i say niche like games i don't think games really are niche but in like if you look at all the people in australia who play games it would still be considered niche population wise you know but the communities for games is something that um is is really interesting because you get people who are who are really like minded. You get people who are really competitive, um, and you get people who just just love it. You know, they just they just they they just love it because games are there's so much to love with games. And when we first started, we had like those those were back in the days when people still used forums for things. You know, and the forum community we had a really vibrant, um, fun community there, and they were really getting involved in the show and helping us shape the show because you know we didn't really know exactly what we were doing. We were just trying to celebrate games which is the the mantra of our show like everything we do needs to be a celebration of of gaming and gaming culture you know we want to we want to journal it we want to analyze it and we want to celebrate it because it's it, it's an art form uh, as well as a commercial product but it's like this is this is art and we're just we're just critics you know feeding on the the the, uh, the art of the people making these games you know no one ever built a statue to a critic we're just we're the scum that are feeding on the people who actually make these incredible things but um back to that point of community like it, we had a real community feel with the show i felt and the community really helped us make it and we we tried to thank them for that by representing what they wanted in a show about games and we we still try and do that and it gets harder and harder every year you know it's always a challenge to stay relevant and 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 communicate with your community and we try and do that with like live shows we try and do it with being really active and on our forums and we have a daily show now where um it's a really it's that's what it's all about you know we're trying to we're trying to have that kind of community, that daily community um, with that as well. Yeah, that was one of the things I was actually keen to ask you about because not only do you have that weekly show, Good Game, but you've also got, as you mentioned, the daily show. Uh, there is Good Game Spawn Point, which is the younger viewers show. And then there is, of course, the show that covers the uh, esports community, which is well played. I mean, that's, you know four in a way four shows that you're kind of working on at the same time on one hand i imagine people must uh, especially gamers looking from the outside would look at that and see it must be the most awesome thing in the world you know every every minute of your working life is sunshine and rainbows and then you sort of get to go home and uh, play games anyway so you know you're like you're like the the full-time thoroughly saturated gamer but um i do like to try and perhaps take these kinds of things off the pedestal a little bit and talk about some of the aspects of it that uh aren't so obviously you know straight out uh, joyous 100% of the time and, you know, show how there is still a lot of, well, a lot of capital W work that goes into these things. So can you tell me a little bit about what being the host 
of all these shows is like some of the things that you do have to do on a regular basis, the preparation, the uh, uh, the execution, and uh, all that kind of thing? Sure. Well, you know, um, behind me there are like 30 people trying to make me look good, right? <laughs> That's how I like to think of it from from a team in the office who are like producing and, and writing and like coming up with new ideas for the show and doing the hard yards of all the paperwork, of which there is a lot at the ABC. Um, and then we've got makeup artists, we've got we've got editors, we've got camera crews and lighting crews and sound engineers and, and um, uh, sound recordists and, and then we've got an EP and like heads of department and, and we've got uh, you know a series producer we've got researchers um, and then we have like uh, then we have the host you know so we're like um, we're like the the tip of a of an iceberg of really passionate and creative people and it's it's hard making entertainment like a TV is really hard especially in 2016 you know like where TV is changing where there may not even be TV stations in 10 years from now so everyone is always trying really hard to kind of make the best thing that we can and it's 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 a lot of work you know like even just getting five minutes to air in our daily show is a lot of work for that team and it's it's it it really comes down to just um having a good structure and being agile you know like if something comes up that uh like a story breaks like pokemon go you know we need to be agile and make sure we're onto that straight away which can be very difficult in the work process of making a tv show so it, it, to talk about like the process of making good game or adult show you know we we um we film that on tuesdays and that's a, a full day of like filming in studio with hex and i in there and our director and our um we have a sound recorder a camera person and we have uh lighting as well because it's a big studio set and needs lighting we have crews that bump in and out our set and we have um you know the production team upstairs who are all keeping the show running from that point so that's kind of all tuesday then all of wednesday we do spawn point our kids show and then we have our robot darren in there as well um a few extra things with that show a bit of green screen stuff with our with our silliness and it's a real change like going from the adult show to the kids show you have to you know you kind of like the day before you're talking about like serious r rating issues and then on tuesday you know you're making a cheese sandwich and wearing it as a hat like it's such a different <laughs> vibe and it's really rare we're so freaking lucky to be able to make a kid show and an adult show it's so rare you can cross over with presenters you know and like stephanie's so good at um you know hex is so good at uh being on the adult show and on the kids show as well and like everyone involved in the show like the, the way we kind of try really hard to keep the kids show fun and fresh it's just the way that every Everyone switches is is really lovely, um, and then Tuesday, Wednesdays we're kind of we're we're reviewing games and writing, and we capture all the footage, of course, and we log all the footage so we make sure that what we say, you know, can kind of like tie in with what we're um, what we're showing. That's obviously very important for our editors. And then Monday we kind of read everything and we play each other's games and we you know we we change things if we need to and we. Um, we have meetings talking about the week ahead and then Tuesday, Wednesday, it all kind of starts up again. So it's, it's a, it's a long process and the daily show is very different. You know, like they, they get in early and they start writing and they start putting things together and then they just go, 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 go. And then they have to get it up by kind of three or 5 PM. So that's a whole other production almost sustaining itself, um, on its own there. But the, um, yeah, the other shows, that's, that's kind of the process of how it works during the week. And there's just so many people involved along the way. And, um, it's, it's, Everyone just works really hard, you know. Everyone does their job and gets on with it, and that's that's kind of how we keep it going. And 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 you know, we we are a TV show about games, and there's I don't think there's actually another TV show um, about video games in the world that is is you know funded uh, like we are. You know, there's a lot of indie kind of TV shows, but there's nothing where we have resources. And like we don't have a lot. We are the ABC, but like why we what we try and do with that is we can't be as agile as you know, uh, websites and, and, and YouTube, you know, we have a daily show where we're trying to be really agile with that. So what we try and do is we try and use those resources to craft something, um, a bit more, uh, you know, have a bit more production value to it, you know, and with our editing process and with our, um, the way we put it all together, we, we try and make something that is of a, of a high production value. And I think, we can't do that every week, you know, we can't, we don't always get there, but like, I, we, we try really hard to, when, when there's something important we can talk about, you know, a, an important story, or if we, we're doing a trip overseas, then we go really hard to make sure we craft something that we think is different to what everyone else is doing. And that, that's trying our mantra for the show, really, what we're trying to do each week. 
One thing that you did mention in your notes is that this year you've actually started doing improv courses, which I think would be a great help in trying to be spontaneous in front of the camera. Uh, yeah, tell us a little bit about that. So I wanted to do improv courses because um, later in the year, this other show was coming up that um, we got a green light on, and I just wanted to make sure, you know, my flex my brain and make sure my brain was up to the challenge because it had been a while since I'd done any any kind of proper drama, you know. Um, like, we do quite a bit of improv on the show, of course, especially on the kids' show uh, on Spawn Point. But um, we really wanted to, I really wanted to just, yeah, do something that made me feel uncomfortable. And improv was, uh, I thought I thought it would be a little bit, you know, maybe it'll just be one course and that'll be a bit easy. And it turns out improv is really hard and there's a lot going on um, and a lot of things to keep in your head at once and lots of strategies to make improv fun. And so I, I did a couple of levels, you know, they have like different levels of improv and just, it was therapeutic. You know, it was like, I, I came out of them feeling really positive and looking forward to having positive conversations. I felt like I was in some sort of cult and it really is like a cult of clapping and laughing and having a good time and supporting each other. And I I think that's what I got the most out of it. It was, you know, this kind of saying yes is a thing for improv, you know, yes and, but it really is about saying, saying yes and, and just jumping on board with things and going with it and not like poo-pooing something straight away because it feels different. It's about accepting, accepting what someone has given you and doing something with it and like trying to make them look good. And in the end, everybody's laughing and having fun. And there's, there's two like great lines that came, came out of all the improv for me. Um, one of them was like, if you're not having fun uh you're the asshole you know so like if you're in a room and you're not having fun you're the asshole and you need to fix that i really <laughs> love that line i think it might be an amy polar line maybe um and there's another one which i think is also hers which is um nobody is ugly when they're laughing it's something like that as well and i thought that was really beautiful and uh improv yeah i met some awesome people and had a really good time and i'm definitely gonna go back and do more when i uh, when i have a, a bit of spare time i highly recommend improv even if you just do one course once it it, op it can open your mind you know you don't have to like become an improv person and and go to all the shows and be that person but it's it's just a really wonderful positive fun experience to like make your brain a little bit a little bit more chirpy i guess <laughs> Hi, I'm Barry Duffield, star of Spartacus, Vengeance and War of the Damned, and you're listening to the Paid to Play podcast. It is my pleasure to have host of ABC TV show Good Game, Barjo. We have just spent the last little while talking about the incredible experience that is working on Good Game. But now it seems a good time to actually talk about some of the new things that Barjo has on his plate. You have actually been working on a TV show concept for about the last four years or so, and it's just recently gotten the green light for development by the ABC. Yeah, um, I've been uh, very, very lucky to uh, be working with some very talented people in Melbourne, um, Dave Cartel and uh, Timothy Powell, uh, that's our director and producer. Um, these guys I met on a couple of ABC3 kind of crossover gigs in Melbourne, where we all get to get all the ABC3, ABC3 presenters get together and like do a silly sports day thing for um, Australia Day. It's kind of a, a bit of a tradition. Uh, and we just like... About four years ago, we said, you know, hey, let's make a, let's make something, you know, let's make a show about space. And then uh, about a year of kind of talking about it, we came up with kind of like a sketch show kind of idea, and we shot a little teaser trailer for it, and and then we that kind of evolved into like more of a, a kind of narrative thing. And then after a couple of years, we got a little bit of um, money for. Um, developing a pilot, you know, like this is a, it's been a long, slow process and definitely would be quicker now that we've learned a lot of stuff about how to put this all together. But we did, we did the pilot and that was funded by, um, Screen Australia and the ABC. And I think there might have been one more partner in there that I've just forgotten the name of. Um, but mostly, uh, I think Screen Australia and the ABC funded that. And it was a, you know, what we wanted to make was, what it turned into was like narrative comedy. Cause we were talking to each other, like, what haven't we done? You know, like, like my director and producer had made a lot of sketch shows before. Um, and they were like, we, we want to do something a bit different and, you know, doing narrative drama or narrative comedy drama was a real challenge for all of us. So I said, let's do that. That's going to be fun. And we just, we had this idea of like, we, we like, fast-paced stuff and we like stuff we like sci-fi you know like red dwarf and that kind of thing um and we like we really liked uh comedy you know we like laughing 
And so what we tried to make with this pilot was kind of like Buffy meets Archer, but for kids. That's kind of the vibe of it. And and the pilot we we shot last year, uh, we finished that up about almost a year ago last week, I think. And we learned a lot about that pilot. We changed a few little things here and there. We shuffled some of the characters around a bit. And for the last kind of year or so, our director and some writers and um, have been furiously writing uh to turn this into a, a proper series and we started filming a week ago and once again i feel like i've won some sort of cosmic challenge to be able to make a dream thing you know it was like 10 years ago i had this audition for the science fiction show and um i got the part but the show never happened as most shows don't and it was just like so heartbreaking and to actually be a co-creator in like something like this i i can't even it hasn't even hit me yet like how lucky i am really mm. It, um, especially when you mentioned that so many shows, uh, do get pitched and go into development and even shot and then basically vanish without people even, uh, knowing that they even existed. Although nowadays, especially what with uh, the presence of the internet, of course, and that need to start building a little bit of hype as early on as possible and getting people interested and getting them to be fans of the product before the product is even released. It does seem like now there is that aspect of people do, are, do become a little bit more aware of projects yeah. before. Mm. Absolutely. And, you know, Kickstarter and crowdfunding kind of programs are fantastic for people trying to get ideas off the ground, right? But they're hard work. Like, you need a person just dedicated to doing the kick, doing the crowdfunding. And that's mm. their job and promoting that. We're very lucky that we were able to do it within um, an older model, but we're doing a more modern kind of, like, development, I must, I, I think, is... The way we're doing it, it's like we're doing kind of very short episodes, but we're doing a lot of them. Um, and so it's – yeah, so we, we're still working within like the old ways and the new ways and like trying to find something that works in 2016. And we kind of we, – we managed to find it, I think, I hope. And you're, you're right though, you know, like is so many shows uh, get to pilot stage and – they kind of stop there, and that's that's what pilots are for. That's the point of pilots. But it's like uh, I was talking to our DOP the other day, um, and he was saying, like, you know, maybe 1% of pilots get turned into a series. So we're very lucky that we're actually shooting it. Um, and, and the other thing is I think we've attracted some really talented people. Like there's one thing I've learned over the last – decade of working in tv it's it's surround yourself with talented people um and you will learn from them and you will become a better person at doing what you're doing and i think that's that's what we've done you know like the people working on the show are so annoyingly talented it's almost annoying like how talented these people are it's almost intimidating <laughs> i would be nervous if i wasn't so like confident uh, about how good everyone is you know like we've got um incredible actors who've been working, you know, since they were kids. Um, we've got fresh faces as well. We've got lots of really great supporting cast. Um, we've got an incredible crew. I've, I've just spent a week working with them and I'm just still buzzing from like how professional everyone is and how hardworking they are. And, you know, there's like true artists in every pocket on the show. And I, you never know how it's going to come together, right? But it just like, I, I've just got really good feelings and fingers crossed that it all comes together well. But I think because it's like a sci-fi thing and a comedy thing, um, it's just really fun. And I think that's attracted really talented people because there's not much sci-fi out there, especially in Australia. There's not much sci-fi around. Um, and getting to, like, muck about with aliens and explosions and silliness and, and um, yeah, it's, it's – I think we've managed to attract some good people. <laughs> now, are you doing this all at the same time as Good Game? Yes, this is the first time I've taken a break of the show in 10 years, which is terrifying, you know, like the show is, is such a big part of my life and to like move from Sydney to Melbourne for six weeks, seven weeks, um, and, and to do it is a real shock. It's been a shock to my system and I'm, I'm missing everyone so terribly and I'm missing, I'm missing being involved in like the conversations, you know, about the games that are happening at the moment with our, um, our fans and, and, and online and it's finding it hard to keep up. I, you know, I played so little of No Man's Sky. I'm afraid to even mention how little I have played, you know, um, and it's, it's a real shock to not be gaming every day. Like that's, 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 killing me as well but uh doing the show is a real uh it's a very exciting thing and it's very distracting and, and a lot of a lot of hours but yeah it's, it's the first time i've taken a break and um i'm i uh it, it's just weird uh, but it was kind of the best way to do it because 
I couldn't fly back and forth and do the show. I wouldn't be able to give either project my full attention. And we, I was talking with my my EP at Good Game about it, and she's like, "I think we just got to let you go do this, you know, and come back because it's um, you, you just got to focus on it." And that's that's really what I want to do. I want to focus hard and and do the best that I can absolutely do, and just put everything I can into it, and just uh, yeah, and hope that um, we manage to make something fun. <laughs> And of course, if that wasn't enough new challenge for you, you and Hex have been working on a series of children's books for crying out loud. So tell us a little bit about the uh, the Pixel Raiders and uh, putting book one Dig World out and, uh, you know, having more books yet to come. Yes, this has been another real challenge for us, and and once again, another like super cosmic lucky thing to happen. Um, Scholastic actually approached us and said, "Hey, we've got you know a little idea for a book series about like two characters, and maybe they're trapped in a video game." And I can't quite remember exactly what the initial pitch was. It was something like that, and we were like, "That's a great idea. We should have thought of that. Let's do it." And um, so Stephanie and I have been working. Uh, writing this uh, series together with Scholastic, who have been such great support um, for the last uh, year and a half, I think, two years, year and a half. Um, we finished book one, uh, I think, last year, and that came out a few months ago. And book two comes out next month, I think, September, October, and we're in the process of writing book three at the moment. So that that's kind of like the storyline of it. it. It's It's two characters trapped in a game, and they visit different game worlds, and what we're trying to bring to it is our experience and knowledge about video games, and putting that in a, in a, you know, a fun setting, and trying to really, you know, use our love of books, and, and um, writing as well, to like, try and, try and make something that, that we hope kids will love. And even still, if that wasn't enough to make you collapse at some point from adrenal fatigue, uh, you've gotten yourself a, a new hobby or perhaps a, uh, a long-running hobby that you're just really sort of getting into right at the moment, uh, which is scooters and motorcycles, I believe. Yes, yes, this is how I'll die, probably. <laughs> I am. Um, I am. I love. Um, I love anything with two wheels uh, at the moment, and I don't know what started it. I've got a bit of a bad back, you know. And um, a year or two ago, I started bike riding pretty heavily for the first time, and it fixed my back. And everyone's back problem is different. Uh, and this, mine was a real problem, you know, like every day in pain. And riding bicycles. Uh, getting my joints moving like if I went for a bike ride once or twice a week I didn't go to sleep in pain it was such an incredible thing and that won't work for everyone everyone's back problems who have back problems are different but uh, it worked incredibly well for me and so I started getting into like e-bikes you know like electronic bicycles and and loving the um the fun of like those little engines and and that really helped me get up the hills too because you know I'm not a really fit guy and so I never really got to the lycra stage of bicycling um, the thing that stopped me was just too many close calls because in Sydney, there's like one bike lane, you know, it's awful trying to ride a bicycle in the city to, um, you know, to the Eastern suburbs where I lived, it's a nightmare. And you just, people like swerve into you. It's really horrible. There's this us versus them mentality with bicycles in Sydney. You know, you take the back roads so you can avoid the main traffic, but all the cars that take the back roads get annoyed because I think they're trying to avoid the main traffic too. And there's nothing you can do. And it's it's really stressful and I just had too many close calls. So I thought I'm going to get a scooter because I really like the feel of these like, you know, this two wheel thing. And I got a little scooter and then I started like modding it and playing around and put like a new exhaust on it. And it's put like, um, uh, it's a, it's a blue, it's a blue scooter and it's, you know, it's Sonic the Hedgehog is kind of the theme I'm going for. So I've got like a red stripe on it and I just, I love it. There's something so magical and freeing about it. And then, um, a few months ago I, I got my first motorbike because like there's this weird thing with licenses. It's so stupid if, and they, they may have changed it by now, but like if you get a license, um, for a scooter, uh, an automatic license, you do the test after like a year and a half of, you know, a year of being on your piece, you can just ride whatever you want. You get this open license if you're over a certain age. It's so dumb. Like there's so many rules with cars, like, you know, you can have a seatbelt on and airbags and this and that and that kind of pointy edges on cars anymore. All this really kind of crazy stuff and you have to do all these tests. But then like you can go get a motorbike license or a scooter license and then after one day, and they do work very hard to train you, like it's not the worker's fault, you're allowed to like sit on an engine and go 90Ks an hour. It's insane. So anyway, I did a few safety courses, and I'm still going to continue to do safety courses because it is so dangerous. But I, I, I just love it. I love the freedom of it, and and I love the love tinkering around with the motorbike, even if it's just like 
little things like changing grips or changing, you know, levers or readjusting things. And, you know, I, I, there's a community workshop in Sydney called Rising Sun. Um, and you can go there and like book a bit of time. Uh, I'm not a spokesperson for them or anything. It's just like, that's, it's just a really cool idea, which is why I mentioned it. And, um, I, I kind of been going there and like, you know, getting help to work on, work on the bike. And yeah, it's, it's, it's just something I love. I don't think I'm going to be like a rev head. And I really try hard not to talk about it too much around people who aren't into bikes because I don't want to bore them, you know, <laughs> and I don't want them to like, I don't, I don't want to be that guy who's like, let's talk about my hobby that you're not interested in for ages. But, um, it's, it's something that I'm, I'm really enjoying. Now, for a guy who is already doing so much, uh, my next question almost feels kind of redundant, but is there a next level of skill uh, or next level of challenge that uh, you're perhaps looking forward to tackling on the horizon? Or is there, amidst everything else that you're doing, another project or aspiration that you would like to approach at some point? Oh, yeah, definitely. Um, I... I... I, I love to think it like um, the two words I think of is only forward. You know, one of my favorite books of all time is um, this little fun sci-fi book uh, by Michael Marshall Smith called Only Forward. It's just awesome. And uh, for some reason that, that, that stuck in my head, Only Forward. It's not really like the moral of the book or anything, but like those two words. And so I think about that a lot. And I always want to be moving forward and, and doing something new and trying to challenge myself. And there's two big things I want to do next. Um, one is like get fit. You know, like I've had this little belly for too long and I hate it. And it's hard when you work a sedentary job to like, get fit, but also there's the laziness thing and, you know, having a bad back, all these kind of things. And I just need to get my butt into gear and like get proper fit and get rid of this belly and stop obsessing about, uh, you know, being un- unfit. Uh, not that I'm obsessing about, but you know what I mean? Like I want to, everyone else on TV looks so good and I feel like I have this little belly and it's not good enough. So anyway, maybe that's just some sort of deep seated insecurity thing for me personally. But anyway, there you go. Uh, the other thing I want to do is um, uh, I, I'm really enjoying making, being a co-creator on this sci-fi show, you know, but because of uh, working on Good Game and other projects and because of my skill set, I haven't really been able to be involved in, say, writing an episode, you know, like I've helped coming up with storylines and ideas and characters and you know, we've worked very closely together, but like my director and producer have been doing by far the heavy lifting. So if we do manage to get a series two up, the dream would be to like be a little bit more involved in that, find a way to... Um, you know, maybe try and write an episode or two, uh, or at least, you know, practice that and then get feedback on that. Like, just, like, really try and evolve those kind of skills. Because TV is a really hard business to get into, and it's really um, a really fickle business that can, like, you can shine brightly and then disappear, you know? Like, you're never safe. You, you, and Good Game is, is such a wonderful job, and I never want to stop doing it. But, we, you know, we might stop one day. We might not have a choice. Maybe we will. Maybe we won't. Maybe we'll go on forever. That's what we'd love to do. But I just want to add more skills. Skills, you know, like I, I still feel like I don't have enough skills that if everything fell apart tomorrow, I could like go out and get a job. Maybe once again, that's some sort of deep-seated insecurity thing, but I just want to keep building and adding things to the toolbox. You know, maybe maybe if I had done that, that done that IT course and finished it fully, I wouldn't feel like that. But um, I, I don't have much of a backup plan is my point, and I just want to keep trying to make things and do better things and, and get better at things and, of course, lose the belly. Mm. Now, I do like to ask people uh, at the end of the show for three pieces of advice, things that they've learned during uh, their journey that might help someone who is still at the start of theirs. Uh, this idea of embracing the things that they love doing and standing up for them and earning money from them. I think you've already given me one uh, in that idea of taking a gap period between high school and university, stepping away to uh, try and learn a bit more about yourself before you commit to these, you know, three to five years of higher education and, of course, racking up bloody hex debt. Yeah. So can you think of uh, a couple of other things that you've, you've learned on your way that you reckon would help? Yeah, sure. Well, I guess the first point about that first advice is, you know, it, it may not work for everyone to take time off. Um, but the real point of that, I think, is you do what you love, right? You've got to do what you love. If you're not, if you're not trying or finding a way to do the thing that you actually enjoy, then you're going to feel like you're working your whole life. I, I don't feel like I'm working. And that is such a really rare and wonderful thing. And I, I'm well aware of how rare and lucky I am. You know, and I, 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 I thank Space Jesus every day for like, <laughs> I'm not religious. 
that's kind of just something I said, you know, space Jesus. I think, I think, uh, I think the, the universe for like giving me these opportunities. Um, you've got to do what you love. You've got to, you've got to work hard. You've got to be good. You've got to be better than everyone else, you know. Well, not better than everyone else. You've got to be, this is rambling advice. I don't know if this is helping, but I'll keep going. <laughs> you've got to be, to quote Steve Martin, right? You've got to be so good that they, you can't be ignored. And not that I am saying I am that, but I'm saying like you've just got to get good, get good at what you want to do, be an expert at it and practice and get better and better. And then persistence and time, I think, is the other thing. It took me seven years before I got a, a job I could live off on in film and TV. Um, and that was a really long time of, of getting into debt. And I guess the other advice on that would be never get a credit card, you know, never, ever, ever get a credit card, never let yourself get into debt Um just try and live within your means because uh, that can then add all sorts of pressures for you and stop you doing what you really want to do. You know, if you've got like a 10 grand debt sitting there, that can – and some people are better at managing that than me by far, I'm sure. But like that that gives you pressure to like I need to just – I need money to work so you, you end up taking a job you don't want to do and then you're not doing what you love. And so I guess that's my big advice, you know, like do what you love, find a way to do it. Get really good at it, be and to, so you can get noticed, and then just persistence and time. And eventually, I firmly believe if you're good at something and you you know you never give up, and you put yourself in in places where you can take the thing you love and do something with it, eventually you'll get noticed, and eventually you'll find the thing you're looking for. Um, I guess that's that's my best advice I could possibly give. Well, after listening to this show, uh, where can people go to find out a bit more about Barjo, a.k.a. Stephen O'Donnell? And actually, before I get you to uh, answer that, for those people who, for whatever reason, uh, aren't aware of Good Game, uh, when, it, when are the various Good Game shows on and uh, where else can people catch them? Yeah, so um, our daily show, Pocket, um, hosted by the co-creator of The Roast, Nick Richardson, who is one of the most talented and funny people I have ever met. Um, he also looks like a Muppet and has very damp hands. That's just a side bit of information about him. He uh, he hosts our daily show, and you can see recent ones of those on iView, which is ABC's catch-up service. And we also put all of those shows on YouTube. highly recommend you check him out. He is so funny and lovely, and he's doing such incredible things with Pocket. You, please check it out. He's so good. Um, and uh, our regular show, uh, Good Game, is on Tuesday nights at 8.30 p.m. ABC2. Uh, we also put, of course, that on YouTube and iView as well. Um, our kids' shows on the weekend, which gets repeated a couple of times. Um, and we also have an eSports show, which we, we kind of do more on event basis now. Uh, so if there's a big eSports thing happening, then that show will go up online. Uh, and um, that's that's kind of all that. Um, the the book that Hex and I are writing, they're all available online if you've got you know, kids who might be interested in that. Um, and the, the show that I'm working on now it will be next year sometime, I think, by the time it actually goes to air. And I almost completely forgot, this show, of course, is brought to you, all you folks listening, by my lovely backers on Patreon, one of whom submitted a question for Barjo. So, Angus, ah. if you've been listening to this episode all the way through and going, where the heck is he going to ask my question? I am going to get to it now. I'm sorry, mate, for leaving it this long. So, Angus Morrison asks, when is the next season of Sharehouse Zombie Apocalypse planned for? <laughs> Um, I don't, I don't think there's going to be another one. I don't know. That was a long time ago. <laughs> that was a, uh, a few, uh, really awesome friends of mine, um, were making a, a kind of a share house thing with zombies. And I think it was, I think it was like eight years ago now, maybe. I'm not quite sure. But, um, yeah, I don't know. I don't think they're going to do anything else. I think they've all moved on to uh, other things. But, you know, you never know. We might, maybe we'll do another one. It's quite possible. Who knows? <laughs> It does seem like the kind of thing that uh, some producer could stumble across, especially in the wake of all these incredible zombie shows, The Walking Dead and uh, I Zombie, and just this, you know, this current surge of zombie-related entertainment. And go, we need to make some more of that. <laughs> That's going to make us some money. So we, you never know. <laughs> yes, and you know the thing about zombie stuff, and um, I've been talking about this with my friends lately because, like, there's a lot of zombie stuff which is cool, and then you get stuff which is like feels boring, and I don't know why because like zombies are cool, and we've been talking about it, and it's not really about the zombies, right? It's about the people mm. and and the things they do in desperate circumstances, and that's why I love like uh, that that mod indie game DayZ, right? Because that game has a zombie game in an open world. 
and but it, the monsters were the other players. They weren't really the zombies. They were just like a thing, a, a thing that caused the situations to happen. And so my favorite zombie shows are are the ones where. It's not just about, here's another fight with a zombie, or like, let's go from this point to this point. It's about the things that Telltale do so well with their zombie games. You know, it's like, it's about the people and, and the way that they, uh, cross each other or protect each other and the things you would do in that situation that's relatable. Mm, yes, always, uh, uh, the, the, the threat isn't, uh, as you said, the threat is, is the zombies, but it's also, uh, uh, the guy who's basically going to shut the door of the safe house on you yes. and leave you outside. Who's the real it. monster? It's yeah. man. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks once again to Barjo for coming on the Pay to Play podcast. And once again, a reminder that you can sponsor Barjo in the 2016 Distinguished Gentleman's Ride, which is on Sunday, the 25th of September, by going to his sponsorship page at gentlemansride.com slash rider slash Barjo. And that's B-A-J-O. The Paid to Play podcast is part of the SDWV Podcast Network and is brought to you by its fantastic backers on Patreon. Please visit patreon.com slash paid to play and sign up to help the show get bigger and better. You can find the Paid to Play podcast on the web at www.paidtoplay.com.au, on Facebook as the Paid to Play podcast and on Twitter at Paid Play Podcast. You can also leave one-off tips via the PayPal tip jar. You can find the link on the website. The interview and monologue portions are published under a Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial Sharealike 3.0 Unported License. In general terms, you can reuse and remix them in your creations as long as you credit Rob Farker and do not charge for your work. For the full text, visit creativecommons.org. The intro and outro music is created by, performed by, and copyright Miracle of Sound, used with permission. For great rock music inspired by video games and pop culture media, check out miracleofsound.net. The Paid to Play podcast is hosted by Business Web Integrations. Get in touch on the web today and let them meet all your online business needs. This is Rob Farker asking you to be a little dangerous and stop hiding yourself. Thank you.